Ransomware is evolving as hackers look to leverage your shame to make you pay up. We'll talk about that next on the Cyber 24 podcast presented by Valcom. And welcome into another episode of the Cyber 24 podcast presented by Valcom. I'm Marty Carpenter, your host, joined today by Dan Schuyler from Valcom. Dan, thanks for being here. Marty, always a pleasure. Things going good? Yes. All right. Staying uh, safe on the internet and all those good things. Trying. You know, I was just, actually, just before we jump in, I was just over uh, at, we're, we're recording this on January 31st. I was just over uh, moments ago at the Silicon Slopes uh, event that's uh, held at the Salt Palace. That's where and I'm I, headed. After that's this. where we're going next. Yes. And I think I just I thought, boy, all of my cybersecurity friends would be so proud of me and how far I've come in this because I went in and got onto the Wi-Fi and immediately my first move as soon as the bars came up, connect my VPN. Nice. So I was all set because that is a lot of people who know way more about coding than I do and uh, didn't want to get in any trouble. So stay safe. Good. Surf safe, right? Yes. Let's do it that way. All right, let's jump into our topic uh, for today. We've talked a lot about ransomware, um, a lot about how this was so, um, so such the rage. And we've even gone so far as to say that 2019 was sort of the year of ransomware. And, and I've always found it interesting because we sort of talked about it from the beginning of this podcast in a sense of uh, honor among thieves. They'll come lock you out of your system and demand a ransom. You pay it and they let you out and that's it. And it's just interesting to watch the whole thing evolve as you go from a position of um, they, they go after big targets and then big targets get a little bit better at defending themselves. And so they, just like in any marketplace, they go and they start to target softer targets, smaller companies or places that they think have money but don't necessarily have uh, the sophistication to um, uh, the sophistication to, to protect themselves. And as people have gotten better and better, the marketplace sort of continues to evolve. And, and this in particular hits how ransomware works. So the new element that we want to talk about today, and this is a story that we'll post on our on our website with this, deals with ransomware that includes um, data exfiltration, taking the data and, and not just locking it up, but locking it up and stealing it, but then using that for an interesting purpose. So walk us through what we're talking about when we, uh, just expand on that a little bit, if you would, about what we're, what we're talking about in this new trend. Sure, so ransomware, like all malware, is evolving. I mean, when ransomware first started out, it was pretty, pretty simplistic. It encrypted your data on your hard drive, and the encryption process in the beginning wasn't wasn't the best and not all of your files got encrypted and then it evolved in, in encrypting all of your data, holding your data for ransom. And then the the technology of the ransomware got more comprehensive and instead of just encrypting the data on your computer, on your particular computer, it would traverse the network and encrypt data on all the endpoints, if you will, that are on the network, all the laptops, yeah. desktops, and servers. And now we're seeing an, the next evolution of ransomware, uh, where not only is it encrypting the data, but it's exfiltrating the data and holding the data ransom, because we've seen uh, in the past, uh, a majority of companies are not paying the ransom for, for whatever reason. They're able to restore from a backup or the data wasn't that sensitive and they were able to start over. Um, and so the the ransom has not been paid. And so now the the ransomware 
attackers, if you will, or malicious actors are taking a different spin on it and evolving the tactic to not only encrypt your data, but to exfiltrate it and hold it hostage, saying, if you're not going to pay the ransom, we are going to release the data to the public until you do uh, pay the ransom. So they'll release 10% here, another 10% there. For a company that has very sensitive data, and that would be the healthcare space, HIPAA data, that would be the financial services space, this can be very damaging. Certainly, you don't want patients' data to be publicly released. Certainly, you don't want financial data to be publicly released. So this puts specific organizations who get with, hit with this type of ransomware in a very uh, particular position. So help me understand then, um, I, I get the idea of like, okay, they're going to release, they're, they're going to hold the, rant, the the data hostage. And then in, in a sense, it's like, hey, we'll release 10% of the data. That's somewhat of an uh, approach of, well, we'll shoot one hostage. Right. And we still have more hostages. What is the data that they have? I mean, if, if I'm just trying to think from a consumer's perspective. I work with a company or I do business with a company, a bank, a healthcare company, whatever. And my data gets not only hit with ransomware, but gets stolen. And I just presume that I've been compromised in some way. And they do, the company does the things that it always does and says, you know, we've notif- we'll notify you and we'll offer credit reporting or whatever. What, what is the, how is that a leverage point on the company that they're going to let out 10% here or 20% of the data that they have little by little? Is, is the hit for the company more than just sort of uh, the reputation that we got hacked and we were perhaps perceived or, or in fact, were careless with your data? Like, what? why is it embarrassing for a company to, to have a little bit here and a little bit here released? What kind of information are we talking about? Well, so first, let's back up. <clears throat> Depending on the industry you're in, regardless if, if the data has been released or not, you have certain um, disclosure, disclosure requirements. So if the data has been exfiltrated, regardless if it's been released to the public, there are certain compliance requirements that say, hey, you have to notify uh, state and federal agencies that this data has been exfiltrated, you've, you've been breached, spe- specifically around HIPAA data, and at some point you have to notify the potential victims. So HIPAA data would be patient data. Mm-hmm. You have to disclose to the patients, hey, we've been breached. And uh, there's the potential that your your data um, is now out in the wild, if you will. So regardless if it's been publicly displayed, there there is there's are those disclosure requirements that certain organizations are required to follow. So to your, to answer your question, if you've got patients' data and the, some of the sensitive data could be the type of illness that they have yeah. and the type of treatments they've received. Um, as a patient, you don't want the whole world to know that. Right. And as the provider uh, or the, the insurance company, whether you're a payer or provider that has that information, certainly you don't want that information to be made public. Right. So there's an embarrassment element to this, and they just will sort of, like I said, shoot the hostage little by little to turn up the pressure to make sure you pay. Well, there's the embarrassment, certainly, uh, which will end up damaging your brand and reputation, but then there is the legal ramifications that could follow, the fines and penalties for the breach and any legal ramifications that patients take against your organization for that breach. So is this... Do you think this is the new trend and the way we'll go? Will we look back in five years and, and long for the good old days of just clean ransomware without data exfiltration? Or will this sort of be an ongoing element of it, but good old-fashioned ransomware where they lock you up and give you the key back when you pay the money 
will still exist. What do you see the trend doing? I I see the trend with, we'll call this ransomware 2.0 continuing because again, most organizations are not paying uh, the ransom for ransomware 1.0 where their data is just being encrypted. So I see this trend continuing and we will see ransomware evolve into ransomware 3.0. Don't know exactly what that might look like, but again, all types of malware are evolving. The the technology is evolving. The tactics are evolving, and we'll continue to see that evolution. So to answer your question, yes, ransomware 2.0 will continue to see more of these attacks. Is there a tipping point when we just sort of agree as a society? I, I'm just thinking like someone says, let, let's say you're a patient. Let's go with your example. You said you're a patient at a hospital or a medical group. They get hacked, ransomware, plus the exfiltration. They decide not to pay. They restore from a backup or whatever. So this uh, hacker then says, hey, we're going to let out 10% of your patient's info and more here and more here and more here. Um, and I don't, I don't want that to be out there necessarily. Uh, but what if do we eventually, I guess, if that, that's sort of saying from where we are right now, do we eventually evolve to a place where people say, well, you know, yeah, there's something on the internet that says I have X condition that I may not want people to know about. But how do you know that's real? That could be fake. It's just as easy for someone to hack into a system as it is to fake uh, a medical record, right? So it could be out there and you could say, yeah, I don't know. This, uh, the company I was at got hacked. They falsified a bunch of these records. That's, I mean, like we get to a point where you can't trust anyone to handle your data, nor can you trust that any data that someone says they obtained in a nefarious manner is legit. So do we get sort of like, we talk about being in a post-truth world. Do we get past to a point of like post-shame in the sense of like, well, it's out there. You have no idea. Like, do we, do we evolve, I guess, to where we stop assuming that because we see it on the internet, it's real? You, you, make, a, you make a really great point, but I guess, I guess it comes down to what, what data do we want or do we believe is private and needs to remain secure? And do we get to a point to your, to your explanation where certain data, it can be out there and you can say, well, not sure if it's real or not. Yeah. It may be fake, but it's out there. The, the other concern, though, is proprietary data that companies have, their secret sauce. That's what that's what separates them from their competition. Right. You, you can't necessarily fake that. You can't necessarily sure. say that's fake. No, that's a really good point. That's that's going to be something that your competitors are going to use against you. So there's a variety of different data sets out there, whether it's proprietary company data, whether it's healthcare data, whether it's financial data. We could go on and on and talk about the different data sets that have uh, different ramifications and implications if that data becomes yeah. public. So I, I, there might be a tipping point for some data sets, but I think for a vast number of companies and, and people, they still want their data yeah. to remain private regardless of is it fake or not. Yeah, Coca-Cola doesn't want the secret recipe out. Nobody's been able to hack the kernel's secret so blend of 11 herbs and spices, spices right? Yes. It's amazing how we can remember something like that. Exactly. My goodness. Um, all right, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, – a different kind of hack, not necessarily a different kind, but a very high-profile hack, not necessarily attacking the high-profile business, but another way to get at that business and uh, a really interesting story. Back with more on the Cyber24 podcast presented by Valcom right after this. You know, I've yet to meet an IT professional who loves waiting hour upon hour to diagnose the problem with your server. They just don't care for it. The good news is they don't have to. 
Hewlett-Packard Enterprise's new InfoSight for servers provides continuous proactive health monitoring and recording for thousands of system parameters 24-7 right on the server. InfoSight then derives insights from the behaviors of the install base to provide recommendations to resolve problems and improve performance. It learns as it goes. Let Valcom help you not only save time, but also your sanity by visiting vlcmtech.com servers. That's vlcmtech.com slash servers. Do you ever wonder what you would do with $12 billion? Well, that's the amount of money that business email compromising has cost businesses in just the last five years. Barracuda Sentinel detects threats that traditional email security systems can't. It integrates directly with Microsoft Office 365 APIs to detect attacks coming from both internal and external sources. It uses artificial intelligence to detect signs of malicious intent and deception within every email with virtually no IT administration required. Check out vlcmtech.com slash barracuda-sentinel to find out how you can save your company from a hacker's $12 billion business. That's vlcmtech.com slash barracuda-sentinel, B-A-R-R-A-C-U-D-A hyphen S-E-N-T-I-N-E-L for more information. Check it out today. This season of Cyber 24 is presented by our friends at Valcom. Valcom is a Utah-based IT solutions and service provider with the drive for getting IT right. From ironclad security to computing and beyond, Valcom's 35 plus years means they have experience and expertise to help your business from desktop to the data center. At Valcom, you get much more than just a dedicated IT retailer. They actually become an extension of your IT team. Whether you're a startup or an enterprise, Valcom has the technical sales and engineering expertise to make your business more effective and productive. Check them out, vlcmtech.com, to learn more about Valcom's end-to-end -end solutions, the technology vendors they partner with, and so much more. That's vlcmtech.com. All right, welcome back to the Cyber24 podcast presented by Valcom, Marty Carpenter and Dan Schuyler. Ah, okay, last segment we talked about a new type of ransomware. And in this segment, we're going to talk a little bit about, I don't know, it's, it's somewhat related to me. I guess it's all somewhat related. But uh, hackers look for soft targets. They look for, for vulnerabilities. And they do that with an individual and they do that with businesses and they'll go target. And we've talked about it primarily, especially today, in sort of what type of business will they go and attack. Uh, there's a story from the Washington Post that we'll add to our website as well on this, that uh, hackers who I would imagine, and I, I think I'm willing to assume, would have tried to attack Amazon uh, and evidently had little success, found a different vulnerability, and that was going after the personal device of Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos. Um, these are hackers, according to the story, in Saudi Arabia. And I, I guess I just wonder, like, there's always an evolution to this. And I guess that's what's fascinating is you you go play defense on the business and suddenly they're coming after the CEO. And in in some respects, this is very similar to any type of phishing expedition, trying to go find the vulnerable person within the organization who will let you into the systems. But does it surprise you at all that they would go after someone high profile 
and right at the top of the food chain at Amazon, a massive company like Jeff Bezos. Does that is that surprising, or does it just sort of like fit the pattern for you? Uh, it, it fits the pattern. Sophisticated hacking groups are going after high-profile targets, whether that's Bezos or or whomever. They're they're looking for high-profile targets for a, ver- a variety of reasons. You and I are victims of the shotgun approach of of hacking and and. Most of the time, where we get inundated with phishing emails, uh, targeted phishing emails, if you will. Um, but when you are a high-profile organization or a high-profile individual like, again, Jeff Bezos, um, you are going to be the target of sophisticated hacking groups. And they are going to find, at some point in time, a vulnerability, whether it's a vulnerability with your infrastructure, a, a way to get in through a targeted a phishing attack, a way to compromise your cell phone because of a vulnerability using a sophisticated tool that already exists. If you're the target of a sophisticated hacking group, they will find at some point in time a way to um, get the type of data that they want on you. Yeah. Uh, And they did this, interestingly, and, and we've touched on this somewhat about some of the tools that are available. And it's not like they you know, reinvented the wheel here. They essentially, or allegedly essentially, used readily available plugins, so to speak, just something they can pull off the shelf and use as ransomware. Um, are those tools in the in the hands of the, the wrong kind of people can be very effective, it would appear? Yes, absolutely. I mean, for both white hat and black hat hackers, these tools are available. If you're trying to do uh, white hat hacking to determine if you've got vulnerabilities. These tools uh, tools are available for positive reasons to to detect vulnerabilities inside your own organization and uh, remediate those vulnerabilities. But those tools are also available to black hat hackers who have you know malicious intent. They want to infiltrate your network and get data on you that could be uh, used for other means, if you will, or or fi- for financial gain. Mm-hmm. I, it brings up an interesting sort of geopolitical question because Amazon's not a mom and pop store. They're a massive organization that infiltrates many parts of our daily lives at this point. So we know like when a company gets attacked that we tell them, okay, call your lawyer and call law enforcement, call the FBI, and they can help you through this to some extent. Um, but that's sort of a, a, a rogue actor or a lone wolf attacking a company. Um, we know and understand generally the policies of when a, a, a state, uh, you know, a sovereign nation, when China or Russia or whoever tries to attack the U.S. government or tries to attack a state government. We know there are, you know, a billion plus attempts on the state of Utah alone every day. Um, but this sort of brings up like what, what, what should the government's response be when a foreign state attacks an individual business and what are the response, what's the proper role of the government there and how do we do that if, you know, Amazon's sort of a, a tricky one because you can say, well, if if country X, whether it's Saudi Arabia or China or whoever, if country X attacks Amazon and is successful, that's really disruptive not only to our economy but to, you know, the, the, every country where that, where Amazon operates. So is there a responsibility for the government to kind of go and, and protect a company like that because of its... Um, reach through our economy, or should they sort of be treated like every other company would be in that situation? It's it's interesting to see us an actual nation attack 
a company. Yeah, nation-state attacks against individual organizations are, are very tricky, and um, I don't I don't pretend to know what the proper response would be, but it's it's safe to say that these type of attacks are going to continue, especially when there's intellectual property that could be potentially valuable to a nation state for for whatever reasons, yeah. whether it's military, whether it's intellectual property on products that are being developed. Um, those are those are high profile targets that we will continue to see uh, targeted by nation state actors. Yeah, really interesting stuff. With with Bezos being sort of the big name here, um, and and their success in targeting him, and you would think that Amazon had some protections in place for his personal devices, right? Uh, and, and he's able to be hacked. How much more vulnerable is the CEO of still a large company? Or someone in you know in C-suite leadership in a large company, but not one that's as ubiquitous as Amazon. I mean, there are some really big companies that people don't even think about as part of their daily lives because they don't directly interact with them. Those executives have to be have to have to see a story like this and think it's not going to take very long before someone figures out I am potentially a target. And then that brings into question how much should a business then work to protect the personal devices and accounts of its employees, whether they're C-suite or, you know, if they're always going to find the vulnerable, the vulnerable point, how, how much responsibility does the business have? And to that extent, authority to go and, and de- demand that there are security measures in place for their employees, whether it's C-suite or below. That's a long question, but you get what I'm getting at. Well, with, with Jeff Bezos' cell phone, you would hope that Amazon is doing everything it can to protect and secure that device. But Inevitably, a hack is an, is a result of a vulnerability that's discovered. Whether it's a new vulnerability, something we call a zero day, or a vulnerability that hasn't been uh, addressed by a specific organization. So, who knows what this particular situation was with Jeff Bezos's phone? Yeah. Did they forget? And to, it's not really spelled out for us. Yeah, anyway. exactly. We we uh-huh. don't know the circumstances around there. Could it have been a zero day? Could it have been a failure to? Uh, patch the operating system? Did he have an obscure application on there that they took advantage of? Certainly, the hackers were using tools that are, that are out there and available to launch an attack against that particular device. But the question is, was that device as secure as it could be? We, we, don't, we don't know that. We assume, to your point, that Amazon's doing everything to protect Jeff Bezos' yeah. security in his right. device. But there very well may have been a vulnerability that they missed. We, yeah. we just don't know what the situation was. But to that point, I, I would imagine that most major Fortune 500 companies are doing all they can to protect their CEOs, to protect their corporate devices, to ensure that they're not a, a victim of an attack. But as we all know, nothing's perfect. Yeah. It's an ever-evolving landscape of hackers and the way they can infiltrate and companies doing the best they can or organizations, governments doing the best they can to protect it. And as long as that's going on, we'll be here to talk about it. That's right. (laughs) All right. That wraps it up for this episode of the Cyber 24 podcast presented by Valcom. Dan, thanks so much for your time. Marty, thank you. And we'll be back with another episode and see you next time. Cyber 24 is supported by the Utah Department of Public Safety, as well as the Utah Department of Technology Services and the Utah Attorney General's Office. In addition, the University of Utah's Kem C. Gardner Policy Institute is where we record this podcast each week. At the Kem C. Gardner Policy Institute, they're dedicated to helping Utah make informed decisions. 
We're also proud to have the support of Secuvant, a Utah-based company providing business-enabled cyber risk and management. Every week on this program, these great partners will provide expertise and insight to help business and civic leaders better understand the challenge of cybersecurity and how to keep your organization safe. We appreciate your support.